we're reading Joshua chapter 10, and in this chapter we're going to read about the second most famous event in the whole book of Joshua. It's where the sun stands still. First most famous event is, of course, the, the, the Jericho and its walls falling down. This is a very interesting chapter, so let's read. Now, when Adonizedek, the king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and her king, so he had done to Ai and her king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, they were very afraid, because Gibeon was a great city, as one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all of its men were mighty. Therefore, Adonizedek, the king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, the king of Hebron, Piram, the king of Jarmuth, Japhia, the king of Lashish, and Debir, the king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help. Let's strike Gibeon, for they have made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Therefore the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lashish, and the king of Eglon, gathered themselves up and went, they and all their armies, and they encamped against Gibeon, and they made war. The men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Don't abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us. For all the kings of the Amorites that dwell in the hill country have gathered together against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and the whole army with him, including all the mighty men of valor. Yahweh said to Joshua, Don't fear them, for I have delivered them into your hands. Not a man of them will stand before you. Joshua therefore came to them suddenly. He marched from Gilgal all night. Yahweh confused them before Israel. He killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Huron and struck them to Azekar and to Machedar. As they fled from before Israel, while they were at the descent of Beth Horon, Yahweh hurled down great stones from the sky on them to Azekar and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than those whom the children of Israel killed with the sword. Then Joshua spoke to Yahweh in the day when Yahweh delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. He said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand still on Gibeon. You moon, stop in the valley of Aijalon. The sun stood still and the moon stayed until the nation had avenged themselves of their enemies. Isn't this written in the book of Jashar? The sun stayed in the middle of the sky and didn't, go to, didn't hurry to go down about a whole day. There was no day like it before or after that Yahweh listened to the voice of a man, for Yahweh fought for Israel. Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. The five kings fled and hid themselves in the cave at Machedar. Joshua was told, saying, the five kings have been found hiding in a cave at Machedar. Joshua said, Roll large stones to cover the cave's entrance and set men by it to guard them. But don't stay there. Pursue your enemies and attack them from the rear. Don't allow them to enter into their cities, for Yahweh your God has delivered them into your hand. When Joshua and the children of Israel had finished killing them with a very great slaughter, until they were consumed, and the remnant which remained of them had entered into the fortified cities, all the people returned to the camp to Joshua at Machedar in peace. 
None moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. Then Joshua said, Open the cave entrance and bring out those five kings out of the cave to me. They did so and brought those five kings out of the cave to him, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lashish, and the king of Eglon. When they brought those kings out to Joshua, Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who went with him, Come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. They came near and put their feet on their necks. Joshua said to them, Don't be afraid, nor be dismayed. Be strong and courageous, for Yahweh will do this to all your enemies against whom you fight. Afterward, Joshua struck them, put them to death, and hanged them on five trees. They were hanging on the trees until the evening. At the time of the going down of the sun, Joshua commanded, and they took them down off the trees and threw them into the cave in which they had hidden themselves, and laid great stones on the mouth of the cave, which remain to this very day. Joshua took Machedah on that day, and struck it with the edge of the sword with its king. He utterly destroyed it, and all the souls who were in it, he left no one remaining. He did to the king of Machedah as he had done to the king of Jericho. Joshua passed from Machedah and all Israel with him to Libna, and fought against Libna. Yahweh delivered it also with its king into the hands of Israel. He struck it with the edge of the sword and all the souls who were in it. He left no one remaining in it. He did to its king as he had done to the king of Jericho. Joshua passed from Libna and all Israel with him to Lashish and encamped against it and fought against it. Yahweh delivered Lashish into the hand of Israel. He took it on the second day and struck it with the edge of the sword with all the souls who were in it according to all that he had done to Libna. Then Horam the king of Giza came up to help Lashish, and Joshua struck him and his people until he had left no one remaining. Joshua passed from Lashish and all Israel with him to Eglon, and they encamped against it and fought against it. They took it on that day and struck it with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed all the souls who were in it that day, according to all that he had done to Lashish. Joshua went up from Eglon and all Israel with him to Hebron, and they fought against it. They took it and struck it with the edge of the sword, with its kings and all its cities, and all the souls who were in it. He left no one remaining, according to all that he had done to Eglon, but he utterly destroyed it, and all the souls who were in it. Joshua returned, and all Israel with him to Debir, and fought against it. He took it with its kings and all its cities. They struck them with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed all the souls who were in it. He left no one remaining. As he had done to Hebron, so he did to Debir, and to its king, as he had done also to Libna, and to its king. So Joshua struck all the land, the hill country, the south, the lowland, the slopes, and all their kings. He left no one remaining, but he utterly destroyed all that breathed as Yahweh the God of Israel commanded. Joshua struck them from Kadesh Barnea even to Gaza, and all the country of Goshen, even to Gibeon. Joshua took all these kings and their land at one time because Yahweh, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. Joshua returned, and all Israel with him, to the camp at Gilgal. It's a long chapter, that one. Lots of things happened. And you'll notice in the first few um, battles of uh, the conquest of Canaan, the Battle of Jericho and the, the Battle of Ai, there's, you know, great detail. But now that we're getting into the conquest full on, 
they're just we just had seven cities listed as destroyed there in that chapter and um, so it's getting less and less detail and just more and more is happening and you'll see that as we read the next few chapters even more so this chapter starts out with a few of the kings five of them um, led by the king of Jerusalem Adonizedek and they found out that Gibeon had made a peace deal with Israel. Now you remember that was in the last chapter. It was a deal made because they deceived Joshua. So they tricked them into making this deal. So now the Gibeonites are on the good side of the goodies, so to speak. And now the other kings um, don't like this. So they don't attack Joshua, they attack Gibeon. So Joshua hears about it. Gibeon must have sent a message saying, help, we need your help. And... Um, so Joshua comes to the rescue. Now, uh, interestingly, the king of Jerusalem here is called Adoni Zedek, which means the Lord of Righteousness. But I think he's a fake Lord of Righteousness because earlier in the Bible, we've got Melchizedek, which means the King of Righteousness. Now he was a true picture of Jesus, but both of these guys were kings of Jerusalem. So we've got Melchizedek, King of Righteousness, Adoni Zedek, the Lord of Righteousness, but I think the Lord of Righteousness is like a picture of the, the false Christ or the picture of the Antichrist. And, and in this chapter, we've got this Adoni Zedek gathering all these kings together too to attack God's people. And that's what the Lord, that's what, um, that's what the Antichrists, the Antichrists do. Uh, technically, there's no actual person in the Bible called the Antichrist. I know that's a popular idea in end times teachings, but if you read the Bible you know, properly, there's no person called the Antichrist, but there are references to Antichrists. You know, like there are characters who, who are kind of completely opposed to what God is doing. And that's what we've got here. Adoni Zedek, he calls himself by a Christian name, and we have this in the world today. We have people who pretend to be Christian, but they're actually working against the cause of Christ. Sometimes even pastors, but they're not really working for the Lord at all. They're only working for themselves or for their own ministry. And they don't love the body of Christ. They only love their own church. They want recognition for themselves. So they're kind of like an antichrist. They're like a, a false worker. They look good. They look like they've got they have a good title and they, they look like they're doing the right thing. But when you consider their motives, it's not for Christ at all or it's not for Christ's people. It's against Christ's people. And Adoni Zedek, he's a picture here of an antichrist. And, you know, him and these, this alliance of kings, which we call the Southern Alliance, they attack Joshua at Gibeon. Now, Joshua, what's overlooked here by... Um, people like me and you and, and perhaps anyone who's never been in the military, we don't tend to read the book of Joshua with a military mind. We don't think of it in terms of, of actual armies and fighting and conquest. But Joshua apparently was quite a clever general. And what we've got here is we've got this very brief reference that he marched all night long and attacked by surprise. So... Here's a question for you. How far is it from Gilgal, where they were camped, to Gibeon? If you get it out, if you get out your Bible map, now uh, Gibeon is El-Jib on the map. Because um, uh, Palestine, a lot of it is, is covered by the Arabic language, like when you go into Google Earth on um, 
you know, on your computer, a lot of the names are either written in Arabic or they're written in the English Anglicized Arabic. So El Jib is this place called Gibeon. And you can see where the Jib or the Gib is the start of the word Gibeon. So that's today. And Gilgal, I'm not sure what that's called today. But when, um, when I measured or when I worked out the measurements, it's around about 30 or 32 kilometers march. And the difference in elevation is around about 1,000 meters. So the, down at Gilgal, they're down low. They're near Jericho, which is below sea level. And, but they're marching all the way up to Gibeon, which is above sea level in the mountains. So Joshua marches his army overnight, 30 kilometers plus, and a climb, a climb. Now, can you imagine doing a 30 kilometer hike in one night in the dark and with that type of elevation climb? You would be exhausted, but he does it to get the element of surprise, and they do. I remember reading about George Washington, you know, he, um, great American general in the War of Independence, and he, marked, he took his soldiers across the Delaware River on Christmas night. And the Delaware River was freezing cold, because you know the Northern Hemisphere, unlike Australia, has winter in December. Freezing cold with ice chunks. I've seen paintings with the ice chunks floating down the river. Very cold. And they attacked the city of the town of Trenton, which had the German army in it. Germans were helping the, helping the British. And they attacked them on the morning of Boxing Day, very early in the morning. And the, all the soldiers were completely drunk, unexpecting an attack. It wasn't the time you'd expect it. And so, yeah, George Washington, um, great turning point in the war for independence. Well, the element of surprise. Well, Joshua had two elements of surprise here because one, he marched all night and he completely caught them off guard. And, and Joshua did this type of thing regularly. We noticed with the city of Ai, he set an ambush behind the city. In another city, the city, the battle with the Northern Alliance, we'll read about in the next chapter, Joshua also marches by surprise. So he's, he's quite a clever military guy, but I think that he gets these ideas from the Lord because the Lord is with him. And you notice the one time he doesn't seek the Lord with Gibeon, it's when it all goes pear-shaped. And I think Joshua is seeking the Lord all the time and the Lord is giving him clever strategies. So they finally attack and the, it says that the Lord was fighting for them. There was actually a great hailstorm and the hailstorm was killing the enemy, but not killing them. Now that's quite miraculous. And that's when Joshua spoke and said, Son, stand still over Gibeon. And he spoke and, and it says, we just read it, that the sun stood still and the moon stood still. And this particular thing about the sun standing still has caused a lot of discussion. <laughs> it's reading in a commentary about the five different theories about how the sun could have stood. Now, how to explain this? And of course, one of the theories is it's just a completely supernatural event, you know, and that's what I go for. There are things in the Bible that cannot be explained any other way. For example, one of the, one of the things I was reading, uh, one of the reader, uh, writers made a point that, you know, the sun doesn't actually stand still. We only have the appearance of the sun going over because the earth is spinning. So what actually would have happened is the earth would have stood still. The earth would have just stopped spinning. Well, you imagine you're on the earth and the earth is moving through space at some incredible speed, like 29,000 kilometers an a second or something really fast. I'm not sure what the exact speed is, but the earth is also spinning. So it's spinning and moving through space at an incredible speed. Can you imagine if the earth suddenly stopped like right now? I would fly off my chair 
at some thousands of miles per second in whatever direction that we've been going. And you know the Earth, it, there's this thing called the Coriolis effect. Because the Earth is spinning all the time, it causes winds to move in certain... Can you imagine if the Earth suddenly stopped? All the, the atmosphere of the Earth would just keep going. It would spin around and the Earth would instantly, in about two seconds, become a giant dust bowl. And you can read about this, you know, people have talked about what would happen if the Earth stopped spinning. And basically everything, would, on, everything on Earth would die. So it's not just a case of God just saying, oh, I'll stop the earth spinning for a few hours or for a day. No, this is a, a, an amazing, miraculous moment. And uh, it, could, you know, it could have happened any number of ways. The Lord could have stopped the earth spinning, but, but he might have stopped everything. He might have stopped all the planets from moving, stopped the sun from moving. He might have just put a pause on everything, but just let that one group of people keep on going. You've seen movies where... <laughs> You know, if someone's got a button where they press a button and everything freezes, but they keep walking around. and I don't really know how God did it. But I know God is capable of, of doing anything. God is capable of bypassing the laws of science because the laws of science themselves say things like, for example, that matter cannot be created or destroyed, only change shape. Well, if that's a, a law of science, how is there even matter in the first place? And we only have matter in the first place because someone who's greater than the laws of science is able to put it there. And so the Lord, these things are no problem for him at all. Years ago, I was on a, a hiking trip with a friend of mine, John Batley, and we went to Expedition National Park, Robinson's Gorge. And this place, um, the roads were terrible roads. If it rained, I mean, they were black soil, and if it rained, even a four-wheel drive could not get out. So it was one of those places you went mindful of the weather and you thought if it's going to rain, we either need to be prepared to stay a week or we need to be prepared to leave immediately. So we, we had come and we'd parked our car and we'd walked down into the gorge. We'd walked 30 or 40 minutes, several kilometres, and um, all of a sudden we saw storm clouds gathering and we realised it's going to rain. And we thought we've got to leave immediately. So we started walking back. Now we weren't running, we just started a brisk walk and we got back to the car in just a few minutes. Now I can't explain to you how it took us 30 to 40 minutes to get down there and we didn't even run on the way back but we got back in just three or four minutes. That's a, a mystery. <laughs> and you know, people will say, oh that, that never happened, you're just making it up. Well, no, I'm not making it up, It's it's, what happened? I don't know how it happened. God does things and they feel completely normal while they're happening. But then you look at them and say, that's, that's actually something quite unusual going on there. And I have a feeling personally that that's what the Lord did here at the Battle of Gibeon. That the Lord just caused time to just to just not be going on. I, I don't know how, like everything was just like paused. But they, it felt very normal to them. They were still fighting a fight. The hailstorm was still going on. And um, I just think it's just one of those normal but very supernatural normals all at the exact same time. Now, you might have seen paintings of this battle. Uh, I've seen Sunday school pictures. And, you know, there's always a picture of the sun in the sky. And Joshua speaking to the sun like this. And the truth is, I don't think they saw the sun. Because we were just reading about a great hailstorm. So um, 
I, th I think more likely it's not, not at all like what you saw in your Sunday school pictures. Now I wanna finish with, with just a thought. Joshua is the picture of Jesus here in, the, um, in this book and in the Old Testament. He, the name Joshua and the name Jesus are the same name. And um, Joshua is the only person that I, that, that's in my mind that I'm aware of that spoke to nature and commanded nature. Um, I mean, Moses, you know, Moses did that amazing thing at the Red Sea, but he had a rod and the Lord said to him, stick your rod in the water. So Moses had a prop. The Lord helped him. But in the New Testament, we've got quite a few times where the Lord, the Lord himself, Jesus would say, waves, be still. And here we've got Joshua, a picture of Jesus saying, son, be still. So we've got a real correlation here between, um, you know, Jesus, the picture of Jesus in the Old Testament and the Jesus that we know in the New Testament. I think either way you look at it, we've got a genuine miracle here. And I think when we, when we have um, the enemy, you know, the enemy queued up against us, and so we've got five kings that join together to fight against the, the Lord's people, what we need here is for the Lord to fight for us. We need his help, and that's what happens. The Lord, the Bible says that the Lord fought for them. He hurled down hailstones on the enemies. So if you're facing troubles in your life, you need to get the Lord fighting for you. You need to get on your knees and say, Lord, help. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the miracle of the battle of Gibeon. We thank you there are lots of miracles in the Bible, and we appreciate that you're a God of miracles. And Lord, right now, we need miracles in our lives. Lord, there are things in our lives where we can't handle them on our own. Lord, give us miracles. Lord, give us great miracles and um, give us small miracles. Help us to walk above our circumstances. Lord, above things that seem impossible. Father, fight for us. We're your people. Lord, cause our love for you to grow. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.